Chiliad is a Greek word meaning a thousand things. Digital is the everyday world that I live in. Welcome to the Chiliad Digital Podcast. My name is Aoife McCrum and I am your host. In this series, how to insert word here, in a virtual world, I'll be chatting to eight people on eight different topics and each episode will be 15 minutes. It's the perfect listen with your morning coffee or even while you're prepping the dinner. Today, the tables have turned. My colleague Porg Gilligan will be interviewing me. We'll be chatting about how I got into digital at an early age and how to start a podcast in a virtual world. Aoife, we're turning the tables today and um, I'm the interviewer. So let me introduce myself. I'm Porik Gilligan. I've been working with Aoife for nearly six years, I think, at this stage. So I uh, have been very much part of the latter years of Aoife's digital journey. But I want to ask you, Aoife, to start off with, when did that journey for you start? Like, were you a little girl who didn't play with Sylvanian families but loved video games? Uh, I was a girl that loved to play with a Game Boy. Um, so certainly a the digital um, side of my, my personality came out from a young age. I was into PS1s, Game Boys, video games, playing Indiana Jones on the PC and trying to figure out all the hacks and how to win the game quicker. I was also a very impatient um, game player. So certainly from the age of six or seven, um, digital was certainly an aspect of my life. Interesting. So when other little girls were maybe kind of more... Um focused on dolls and prams and playing house and stuff like that you were actually down with the uh, the video games oh absolutely um as i said trying to, to figure out the hacks or how to turn something into a, a digital being so i had a i got a, a clay microwave when i was six or seven and you weren't meant to actually use it to try to microwave anything it was just for a doll's house game but um i figured out how to turn up the frequency in it and uh, I started to try melt Smarties in it. Um, so I suppose that was kind of the way I approached games from a very young age. Interesting, interesting. So presumably then you were kind of uh, pestering your parents um, as a very, very young girl for a mobile phone, for example. Yes, I had a Panasonic phone from the age of eight. Um, it was a very large phone that had a kind of a luminous blue screen and a very large antenna. Um, and I migrated then from that to a Nokia 3310, which had the game Snake on it that I think every uh, 90s kid played uh, or certainly tried to take the phone off their, their, their parents to play it. But um, a phone was certainly something that fascinated me from a young age. But even the first iPod, uh, we got the, the first, one of the first iPods, it was a U2 edition um and kind of loading that and connecting it to a computer and figuring out how to download songs for free i know i shouldn't say that out loud but they were the type of things that i was interested in napster were you on napster <laughs> yes <laughs> but it used to take all night like to download a song didn't it yeah i'd be up kind of especially with dial-up internet you'd be kind of staying up well past your bedtime and um, trying to figure out how to access all the music for free um as well as uploading many many cds and um, so certainly they were the kind of things that gave me great enjoyment as a child. So when you were in secondary school, then were you the kind of the go to techie like in your class? 
yeah, unfortunately, every time the, the wheel in TV didn't work, um, Aoife was called from another classroom, not only the classroom that she was in, uh, there was often an announcement over the inter- intercom. Um, it was me and one other male teacher that could always figure out how to get the TVs working. Um, so we were called upon as the, the AV uh, squad in the school. So I imagine then that that must have actually sort of um, in some way informed what you were going to study in college. Was that the case? Yeah, I had an interest in, uh, well, originally also sport was another love uh, in my life. So originally one idea that I had was to become a PE teacher. Um, but I think that that kind of dwindled away as my love for digital and tech grew. Um, I still kept up sport on a social side and kind of pursued digital and technology from a career side. I also had an interest in TV production as well. My, my mum and my dad have been involved in that from a young age communication so I suppose that's where that came from um, but it was approaching it from a, dis- a different aspect they didn't have Facebook Twitter um, or any of the kind of digital tools that, that we have now and I wanted to try to learn how to approach what they were doing in a, in a different way interesting so like going back to those days did you have a Bebo account I did have a Bebo account that had my top 16 friends and it was kind of high high tensions amongst your, your group as to who made that made that cut um, but Bebo Facebook they were kind of the, the early ones um, and then I, I've had a I've had a Twitter account for a very long time as well but certainly I found that um, to be a platform that has helped um, certainly the industry that we're in advance my, my career in terms of connecting with people from all over the world interesting were you ever on MySpace no I'd never made it quite to MySpace I did make an account um, I had a my parents always made me have a different name online. They didn't like the idea of my actual name being out there when I was under the, the age of 18. Um, so I used to go by OFA, OFA, um, and I'd use my mum's surname, Comerford. So I kind of had created MySpace accounts and Hotmail accounts under OFA Comerford um, and kind of soon forgot what the passwords were and they kind of got left to die. <laughs> But um, I always had an alias online and tried many, many accounts and platforms. But I think Facebook and Bebo were certainly the strong ones from from an early age. So as somebody then who has very much kind of grown up side by side with the whole sort of, um, I suppose, explosion of social media as a new way to communicate and connect and so on. Um, give, give me a sense of just what it was like, say, when something like Instagram came out. You know, how, how, did you see from the beginning that this was going to be something you would be very much part of? Yeah, I think Facebook came out when um, I was in secondary school and it was nearly used the way Instagram would be now. I think people tried to, I often get everybody, I guess, these prompts on, on Facebook uh, of memories that you have from years ago. And I'm usually, I still get prompts of one that from 11 or 12 years ago when we would have been using it. Um, in in late teens and the way we used it then is kind of the way we use instagram now which is of no surprise considering facebook owns instagram but we were chatting and updating um our friends what we were up to posting pictures from holidays and, and and nights out and nearly writing on each other's facebook walls um what we would now nearly send in a whatsapp message so it was very public in the beginning and i think people started to 
pull that back a little and when Instagram came out it was certainly pitched as that one picture perfect moment so it was a, a difficult platform in that you there was a pressure to look good on Instagram so that, that was the difficult thing and um, I think it put a lot of pressure on people where Facebook was still a little bit informal uh, you were kind of writing on people's walls asking were they um, coming out that evening and nearly like you would knock on the door um, but I think Instagram it, it started off in, in a weird way that it was very vanity based and you kind of were posting pictures of where you went on holidays or the group of friends that you had and the clothes that you had and until it started to to change the way it operated as a platform I think that's when people fell in love with it um, even even more than they had in the beginning it was a very curated feed of single images that kind of depicted moments in time in your life but you could nearly say that it was like a photo book but it wasn't because everything was very edited and so it actually caused I'd say a lot of tension between friend groups um, but you know who made that made the cut because it was only one single image that, that was posted where Facebook was kind of a constant reach out when Instagram changed, they, they started to, to change the way you could post pictures and they changed the way they operated. Um, you could post 10 images in one, so more of your friends could make the cut into that single post that was going up. Um, so some of that, that tension started to die and they, they introduced direct messages. So you no longer had to write on someone's Facebook wall um, publicly to ask if somebody was you know around at the weekend. You, you started to direct message somebody on Instagram. So I think things but somewhere somewhere in, in, in that kind of transition, let's say, from, you know, those early uh, platforms, um, Snapchat also kind of sort of was a was a diversion along uh, along the road, probably from Facebook to Snapchat, then to what? I'd say Snapchat gave Facebook a kick up the bum um, in many respects. I think that's where Instagram's. Um, that's where Instagram really took off. It took everything that Insta- Snapchat was doing well and it did it better. Uh, Snapchat was also a very privatized um, application in that when you were posting these stories that would disappear after 24 hours, not everybody could see them. You could only see them if you both of you had accepted a friend request and you can't search for somebody on Snapchat. You have to know their new username and be able to add them. Um, celebrities didn't have the same kind of profile and there weren't those kind of public accounts. So Instagram kind of took what Snapchat was doing and made it public and more accessible. So I think that's where Snapchat's downfall um, probably lay in not allowing Facebook to buy them when they made the attempt, because I think Instagram has taken them over by a long shot. They've got over a billion um, average users now, uh, which is double that of Snapchat. So I think everything that they were doing, they, they're doing it better. So don't try to play with the big boys. Absolutely. So, I mean, obviously the, uh, the kind of consideration now, um, not just personally, but also professionally for organizations and companies is TikTok. So what's your view on TikTok? TikTok, I haven't created my, my own um, account. And I asked my brother the same question, who's um, only four years my, my junior, but um, I suppose fits in, I thought would fit into that category, but not even he has. I think it's definitely a really younger uh, generational movement, much like Snapchat was at the time. It certainly fills uh, not only that kind of 18 to 24 bracket, 
but it's nearly the kind of it stretches down as far as 15 year olds and it is that really short attention span and style content and the videos are only kind of 15 seconds so it's akin to what had come out i think in the the late noughties vine which is kind of come and gone now which were um five to seven second videos and i think it's, it's quite close to that but has come out at a time that maybe suits it more people's attention spans are are shorter um and i think that really short style video and that's all that it does uh, certainly play has a um an appeal to the younger generation interesting interesting so one of the reasons why we're kind of turning the tables and so on was also to kind of to focus a little bit on you know this podcast and, and why you started it um is it just another sort of uh, natural step evolution in a process of being a, a digital native yeah, I, I listened to a lot of podcasts and I found myself listening to more um, in this particular period of time where we've all had more time to, to ourselves. Um, and I had a recommendation from a good industry friend, Elle Quang, to start listening to podcasts while running. Um, so I started running on a daily basis. So I quickly started running out of podcasts to listen to. Um, so I started listening to, to different variations, but I found that they were all quite long. Um, I mean, there's always a different styles of content, long, medium, or, or, or short in form. But I found that there was uh, not as many short form blogs if I was going for a shorter run. And I just decided that maybe this was um, something that a gap that I could fill, not that I was going to start listening to my own podcasts. But I thought a, a 15 minute podcast was something that was missing from the market. And I, I wanted to improve my own um, presentation communication skills Excellent. as well. So Very good. Well, we better try and keep within the 15 minutes. So like in Desert Island Discs, if you listen to that podcast, there's a kind of a, a formulaic ending and there's a formulaic ending to this as well in, insofar as I have to ask you for three takeaways that um, somebody listening to this podcast who might be interested in starting his or her own podcast could actually use a starting point. So what are your three takeaways? So I think there's three things that you need for a podcast and it's a platform and it's your sound and it's a guest. And so if I take it in, in that order platform, I would look at, you know, using the tools that are out there at the moment. A lot of um, platforms are offering free trials or extended period of uh, better versions of the platform and um, just given the, the coronavirus outbreak and how much more time we're spending online. So Zencaster is a really simple, easy to use platform um, that's free to have um, unlimited guests and unlimited hours at the moment. Um, so take advantage and, and, and try it. It's very simple. It generates a link. It sends one to your guest, one to you, and it downloads the audio file separately. So you're able to edit both. Um, so certainly concentrating on um, using a platform that is professional is something well worth investing in um, rather than just trying to record a, a, a Zoom call or a an audio conversation on the phone. And this, the second thing I would certainly look at your sound. Um, it's really, really important in a, in a podcast to have, to have crisp audio. So I invested um, about 100 bucks in a, in a blue Yeti microphone, which is omnidirectional, bidirectional. Um, so you can kind of... And when we get to meet face to face, you can bring it with you and uh, record in person with two people or you can just record yourself. It connects really easy to your computer as well. 
Equally, you can just use um, the headphone set that comes with, with an iPhone or an Android, but I would try not to use the, the sound that just comes with your laptop. I would definitely try to put a set of headphones in and use the mic and also advise your guests to do so um, when you can't control their audio if you're not face-to-face. And the, the last thing I would say is when you are trying to um, come up with a, a guest list for a number of episodes, pick a friend uh, or somebody that you know well for your first episode because I think doing something um, with somebody that you know, things are a lot more comfortable, you talk um, a lot easier and the, the, the flow of the conversation comes across really natural um, so you won't feel as much pressure. They'd be my three tips. Excellent, Aoife. Thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. I hope everybody who's listening enjoys it as much as I have enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for interviewing me and turning the tables, Pork. Thank you for joining the Chiliad Digital Podcast. See you next time.